Dan, some years ago, I think it was in college, and I don't remember if this was an example given to us of how not to title a sermon, but uh, I was, a bunch of us were told that uh, some, a preacher once had written a sermon entitled, Abishag in the Sleeping Bag. <laughs> yeah, I'm not real sure that'd be a great idea. Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, there's not a whole lot that, rhy- that rhymes with shumite, you know, shunamite, yeah. I mean, it sounds like a part of your car. Yeah, I had to get a new Shunamite. Yeah. This week I had to go, I, I was at the grocery store, bought, some, bought a bag of chips, and I'm sure any of you who've been down the chip aisle at, at the store has experienced this. You notice that when you pick up the bag, it's a smaller bag. I mean, it's not near the size it used to be. I mean, they're not even giving us as much air in the bag. You know, just smaller everything, but at least the price didn't shrink. No, that was higher. We're getting less and we're paying more. Is anybody like that? Yeah, of course not. No, we want more, don't we? We always want, you know, the larger, would you you prefer the larger portion or the smaller one? I mean, even if you're on a uh, diet, you can say, well, there's lunch for tomorrow. Large bank account or the small bank account? Even if you're not materialistic, and duh. It's like the country song from some years ago. There's no such thing as too much fun, a girl too pretty, or a car too fast. There's no such thing. We humans, we always want more. We want more. We want them to add to it, not take away. We want more. And over the last few weeks and the coming weeks, we're still talking about more, becoming more like Christ, having more God in our lives. But one practice for spiritual growth has us turning our back on more. It actually involves seeking less. In fact, it involves nothing. Fasting is the practice of abstaining, usually from food, for a period of time. And yes, you're just sitting there thinking, oh great, it's the sermon on fasting. Yeah, that's what I was thinking as I sat down to write this a while back. We got to talk about it, but it's hardly one of the riveting topics. We see it practiced in the Bible, but interestingly, it's never commanded in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it shows up in certain commands, but we're not really told nowadays that we need to fast. It's not required to follow Jesus. Now, we are told to pray. We are told to give. We are told to serve. We're told to do a lot of these spiritual disciplines. But this one is an option. Okay, good. Nobody's leaving yet. <laughs> kind of wondered if somebody would be like, well, that's easy. Bye. You know. Sit down, Cheryl. No. It's... <sighs> Even without that direct command, though, we can find that this practice of fasting can be useful and beneficial for us. It's something that down through the ages, God's people have noticed, have practiced, and have realized it's got real value. It's helpful. And we're talking about these actions that focus us upon God and draw us closer to Him. And friends, these actions are worthy of practice. And as we talk about fasting today, and I know it's not really the most exciting topic for spiritual growth, 
we're going to find it's worth our time and our effort. It's probably not going to become a daily practice. But those who are seeking to grow closer to God aren't going to ignore it. You know, you're here today because you want to grow closer to God. Look, the fact that you got up this morning, got dressed, and came to church. Thank God you got dressed for coming to church. You, you know, just saying, some of y'all really don't need to. Yeah. You being here means you want to grow close to God. That's a great thing. And maybe, just maybe, you'll find a practice of less useful. One thing we find out about fasting is that uh, it was used as a practice of mourning. If you look in the Old Testament, whenever things have gone wrong, God's people start fasting. And Judges, now I'm going to read this morning off the screen. It's just a little easier. I had too many tags in my Bible. It started becoming a little bit of a chore during first service. So I uh, hope you'll excuse me because I'll use the screens like you use them. So don't get too up on me, you hypocrites. Yeah, it's... <laughs> What we find is that uh, think, when things went wrong, they fasted. In Judges chapter 20, it says, Then all the people of Israel, the whole army, went up and came to Bethel and wept. They sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. You see, what had just happened is the tribe of Benjamin had been up to no good. They'd taken part in some really heinous actions, and the rest of Israel was calling them to account. They were going to war against their cousins. And the first battle went very, very badly. This wasn't something they wanted to be doing, but even then, they lost the first battle. And so they come before God, and they fast, and they cry. And then in 1 Samuel, the Israelites again have been struggling with uh, false gods. And it says, So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. In times of great distress, the people of God turn to him. And as part of this, there's prayer and fasting. Fasting is generally very closely connected to prayer. When God's people fast, they pray. You don't have to fast to pray, but if you're going to fast, prayer is going to be involved. And in these times and other times in the Bible, we see the people of God feeling a great loss, and so they fast from food. Biblically, fasting is generally refusing to eat, saying, you know, I'm not going to eat this right now. It's not making a hunger strike where we're saying, God, I'm not going to eat until you give me what I want. That's not fasting. That's throwing a tantrum. Fasting says, I'm not going to eat because I'm going to recenter myself on God. Usually consuming only water for a set period of time. And instead of looking for a meal, they look to God. Think less what's for dinner and more prayer. Because so much of our lives revolves around food. I mean, if you think about it, even nowadays, it's so easy for us to get food, but a lot of our lives revolves around it. I don't mind cooking at home. What bothers me is the meal planning. You know, I see a few nods back there. Yeah, trying to figure out what are we going to do for dinner? You know, something that you can cook, that you can prepare, that's not going to be too much work, but still a little bit of variety. I mean, it really becomes a chore. 
You can't just have a week where every night's the same thing. It's like, well, Tuesday's taco night, you know, Friday's pizza night. You, you get into that, it's a rut, so you want to change it up. And then, you know, you got to worry about, okay, let's go grocery shopping. You know, we spend a lot of time worrying about food. You know, you, this even happens in our professional lives. You know, you ever have somebody say, hey, let's do lunch? Have your people call my people, or maybe you are the people? Don't have people. You know, we, you get, we get together, we share a meal. If we're hanging out with friends, what do we do? Usually eating. You look at a new house, what's the most prominent room in the place? It's the kitchen. I, I, sometimes you, it's kind of interesting. You look at houses that are you know, built back in the 70s. You know, they had the formal dining room, the formal parlor. Those are gone. We realized we never used them. Now what we've got, we've got the big open floor plan where the kitchen is open to the eating area, to the, to the living area, because they'll say, they say the heart of the home is the kitchen. Whenever you're involved with friends, it involves food. You know, so much of our lives revolves around it. And fact is, if we don't eat for long enough, we're going to die of starvation. You know, it's kind of necessary. And food's not just a necessity for us, it's also a pleasure. You go over to Schnucks or Deerberg's, you know, one of our groceries, we got great grocery stores around here. Growing up, I didn't realize how blessed we were to have such fantastic grocery stores because you'd go to other places and be like, okay, now this is your convenience store. Where's the actual grocery store? And I found out, oh, St. Louis area, some of these national chains can hardly get a foothold because Schnooks and Deerbergs, they just got it sewn up. Now you go in there, these are big. You go to the meat, the meat section, what do you got? Here's the chicken, here's the pork, here's the, you know, the, the fish and all of that. And you know, over there in the little shameful corners, the tofu. And, you know, and, and then as you're standing in front of a section, you've got to pick which cut you want. You, or you go to the counter and they'll have pre-prepared stuff that's ready to throw on the grill. We've got variety. If it was just a necessity, if food was nothing more than something we take in to fuel our bodies, we wouldn't have all that. I sometimes go there and stand in the spice or the, uh, the oil section. How many types of balsamic vinegar are there? We do it because it's a pleasure. But when we fast, we remind ourselves that there's more important things than just food. It's not that we don't feel like eating when we're in mourning. I mean, yeah, if things have gone that bad, you don't have a whole lot of appetite. But instead, we turn to the one who nourishes our very souls. Body will be fine if we skip lunch. Our souls won't be fine if we skip God. And we learn that our bodies have demands, but those demands do not rule over us. Now, you get hungry, you want to eat. But how many of you deal with someone who doesn't just get hungry, they get hangry? 
poor little Micah? <laughs> oh, one day her boyfriend's going to have fun. You know, it's like the Snickers commercial, you're not you when you're hungry. You know, sometimes we, you, you, you get a friend and all of a sudden it's like, you know, the usual happy-go-lucky friend has, you know, become Mr. Road Rage and... It's like, hmm, you don't normally endorse genocide. What's going on? And, you know, well, they're just hungry. Our our blood chemistry changes. Our bodies make demands of us. Those of you who have pets understand how this works. Eventually, you learn dogs can read clocks. I know at our place at 5 p.m., poor little Ella starts looking at us and complaining about how she's going to become a pile of bleached Aussie bones. Waste away, it'll be very sad. You can almost hear the Sarah McLaughlin song playing. Our bodies want to eat. But does the body rule over us? Or do we rule over the body? We learn we are not ruled by physical urges when we fast. We learn that we can discipline ourselves and, okay, I'm hungry, so what? Not that I want to be hungry. Do do I look like a guy who's been hungry a lot? Hush. Cheryl, sit down. But no, it... Our bodies have demands, friends, but they're run by the brain. The stomach makes a request, but it's our will to get whether we give in or not. And when we fast, we are teaching ourselves that we are in charge. It's not the stomach that's in charge, it's not the body that calls the shots. No, it is the spirit. It is me who inhabits the body. And when we fast and we use that time to turn to God, we teach our body God first. Physical flesh comes after. And when we are troubled and we turn to God, we do this in a way that shows our reliance on Him. We show that, hey, if I'm going to fast, I'm going to turn to Him because He is the one who gives life. Food will sustain life for a little bit. We start thinking about lunch. Some of you probably think about it now. Well, in about four more hours, maybe five, you're going to be starting to think about dinner. Funny, that food didn't last. But God lasts. Jesus talked about how if we come to him, we'll never be hungry again. Putting the body in its place. But it's not just something for when everything has gone wrong. As the saying goes, an ounce of prevention beats a pound of cure. I I know I'd rather buy oil changes than engines for my cars. It's better to seek God before everything craters. 
Because fasting isn't just mourning, it's not just feeling sad, it's also preparation. And this is also practiced in the Bible. In the book of Ezra, they're getting ready, some exiles, to go back to Judah. It's going to be a long journey, a difficult journey. And Ezra says, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God, to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. They're seeking God before they go. And then in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is getting his ministry ready to go. He's about, he's just been, you know, he's feeling the call. It's time to get, get to work. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. You remember that, the story of the temptation that comes as Jesus is fasting. And yeah, 40 days, he's going to be hungry. As my parents tell me, I said as a child, he wasn't just hungry, he was hungry. And here comes Satan. You can command those rocks to become bread. You can use your immortal divine power to meet your immediate needs. You can be self-centered, Jesus. Ezra and his fellow Jews were were fasting and praying. They were seeking God, and they, they, they wanted to go back to Israel, and God blessed them with an uneventful journey. Jesus, getting ready for his own ministry, he's going to have three years of roaming throughout the land, preaching, then being rejected and crucified. So, of course, he fasts and prays. And later on, he would even encounter an evil spirit that he drives out and has to tell his disciples, this kind only comes out with fasting and prayer. The disciples went, we couldn't cast him out. And Jesus says, yeah, this is one of the hard ones. Fasting, we learn in the Bible, it's more than just an expression of sadness. It's more than a way to turn to him in despair. It's also a means for seeking him with a particular request or in preparation for something significant. You got something big coming up, you'll fast. And this was often practiced very regularly by Jews in the New Testament times. Certain festivals would have fasts associated with them. There would also be a regular weekly practice by some Jews that wasn't required by the law. They would do this as part of their regular spiritual life. You got a major decision point coming up? Trying to figure out what to do? Do Or maybe you just feel like you've been too distant from God for too long. Maybe you're saying, you know, I want to grow closer to God, but man, I just feel like I'm in a wilderness. I'm too far from him. I know I haven't been praying. I haven't been reading the Bible. I haven't been being with him like I should. How do I get back to him? Well, maybe a way to start would be to say, okay, on this day at this time, I'm going to say, I'm going to fast for lunch. I'll just, instead of going to lunch, I'll take the time and spend it in contemplation and prayer. I'll take a Bible, find a quiet spot, and just spend it with me, my water bottle, and God. Might be a good idea. Help recenter yourself on Him. But even with all this, there's also a warning. 
In Jesus' day, things had become out of control. They'd, they'd gotten out of hand because that regular practice of fasting had lost its focus on God. You know, one of the things that, that you notice in the Bible is that anything God brings, any gift of God, any practice to draw us closer to him, Satan twists. Right, he perverts the things of God as a hobby. He takes the good and perfect things of God and turns them against him. Uses them as ways for us to be sinful. And he had done that with fasting. And Jesus critiques this in the Sermon on the Mount. He, he addresses kind of how people had been practicing this spiritual discipline. He says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus is reminding us that our lack of consumption, it's not a matter for public awareness. It's fasting, friends, is not a way to become popular. None of these spiritual disciplines are things that we're, really, that we're doing so others can see. Now, sometimes I've seen folks, atheists, that will, uh, well, these Christians, their own holy book says, you know, they're, they're supposed to, when they pray, Jesus says you're supposed to go in your closet. Why do we see them praying at meals if they're supposed to go in their closet? Because yeah, y'all don't understand. You see, Jesus uses hyperbole here. You know, he exaggerates. Back in that day, exaggeration was kind of the height of humor. You know, if I told you once, I told you a thousand times. You know, that type of thing. And you know, so when he's talking about cutting off your hand, gouging out your eye, he's not really saying, you know, a meat cleaver is a necessary thing to keep us from sin. What he's saying is, we are... And he does this with a humorous smile and kind of a wink and a nod to the people. He's saying, you know, look, we need to take this seriously. It needs to be important to us, but he's saying it in a way that kind of had them rolling in the aisles. So when he says, you know, don't, you know, do all these things. Well, what they were, what some of these Pharisees were doing is they were using fasting as a way to show how pious they were. Look at what we do that you don't do. This is my fasting day, so I'm not going to wash my hair or wash my face. I won't put the oil on my hair. I'm just, uh, I'm going to dress like it's laundry day. And sometimes I just wonder if, you know, the Pharisees use this to kind of, you know, gentlemen, we know how it works with our friends. If that's how we operated, you know, we'd probably look at somebody. And, yeah, Chuck, fasting day today? You're looking a little off. No, it's a normal day. Ah, oh, funny me. You know, it's, you, know just, you just needle each other a little bit. But that's actually how they practiced fasting. You'd be able to look at somebody and tell, oh, it's their fasting day. And Jesus says, no, that's not what it's for. It's not so that people can look at us and be like, oh, here's somebody growing closer to God. He says, no, look normal, act normal, 
Because our goal is not pats on the back from others, but to grow closer to God. Whenever we do any of these spiritual disciplines, whether it's prayer or reading the Word of God or fasting or giving or whatever, it's not so people come alongside us and be like, oh, you must be so holy. Look at the stuff you're doing. You're a great Christian. No, we don't care about that. That's not what we're after. What we want is to be more like Him. We want to seek God. And if nobody notices, we'd be even happier. He's saying that fasting and other spiritual disciplines need to be performed for the right reason. We seek God, let God be our reward. So when we fast, we may have to keep in mind that, you know, how the more significant the fast, we may have to work our plans around it because we're trying to make this not a big deal. If you're refraining from food for a day or longer, you may have to plan for a day you know, when you don't have a whole lot going on. Maybe not a great idea for the day before the Boston Marathon if you're running. Anybody in here planning that? Yeah, me neither. I'd like to say in middle age, I'm running just as many marathons as I did when I was young. <laughs> Zero. You're probably not a great idea to do it when you have significant physical activity or it's going to require a lot of explanation. Maybe even if, say, it's a day you're in the office and everybody's always eating lunch together in the break room or going out together, what you may need to do is just say, well, I've kind of got something scheduled. I've got some things i got to do. You know, just go take your car, go, go to a park somewhere and sit there and spend time where nobody's really going to notice. We're not talking, oh, it has to be super top secret, but we're trying to make it not be a deal, is kind of what Jesus is getting at. Because what we want is not notice from other people. We want God to receive us, to draw us closer to him. We're not after a great meal with temporary effects. We want his spirit to teach us things that will last us eternally. And even today, this practice of fasting, it's used by some Christian traditions in that period leading up to Good Friday and Easter Sunday, you know, the Lenten fast. You know, I I know a lot of you like, you get to spring and I see some of y'all be like, it's fish fry o'clock. Yeah, we're familiar with that. Because Roman Catholics fast from meat, meaning, you know, land-based meat, beef, pork, chicken. You know, I guess fish meat don't count. You know, they fast from that on Friday. And that's the practice. Some will abstain from other things during Lent, sometimes particular food items. I knew in high school some students that would, well, I'm fasting from soda during this time. Or we might fast from other things. You know, maybe we'll want to say, you know, I'm going to take a week and I'm just not going to turn on the TV. In the evenings when I normally sit down, flip it on, and just watch nothing, I'm going to spend the time... You know, read a little bit of Bible, read a devotional book, just take time, me and God, instead of just trying to figure out what a Kardashian is and what it's doing. We're going to spend our time focusing on God. Other times, fasting is going to be practiced by Christians that just want to grow closer to their Heavenly Father. It doesn't have to be connected to a time on the time of the year. You can say, you know preacher was talking about fasting. That sounds kind of interesting. Why don't we try that? We'll make it for uh, a day and a couple weeks. We'll just take a day. 
and say, you know, we can say from sunup to sundown, we're not going to eat anything. No food, just water. We don't have much scheduled that day. We're not going to do a whole lot. The nice thing is this time of year, sunup to sundown, not a big deal. You do it in June, it's a bigger deal. Yeah, first service, they didn't get that one quite as much. You, know, you can take time to do that. But doing without can show us what we were missing all along. It'll focus us in. It'll guide us to the one who's far greater than anything we have set aside. Usually we want more. But sometimes by, by embracing less, we will find so much more than we thought we were getting. Something for us to try as we grow closer to God. Discipline yourself by doing without. Try it out sometime. Maybe a small fast. One meal or one day from food. Maybe it might not be medically advisable. You, know, you could have a medical issue, you know, diabetes. You know, not really a great idea to do a food fast. You know, try, something, you know, try fasting from something else. It doesn't have to just be food. It's food in the Bible, but it doesn't have to just be food. Take something during, your, during the, your usual routine and say, I don't need this. I don't need to watch TV. I don't need to do this, don't need to do that. Now, uh, I will say, you know, last night was talking with my parents and we were joking a little bit. And my mother said, you know, you can talk about fasting from sin. And I said, well, you know, here's the thing with that. Fasting from sin, we really just call Righteousness. And when you quit fasting, usually you break your fast. That's where we get the, get the word breakfast and break your fast in the morning. If you've been fasting from sin, you'd be like, well, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to sin this week, but come Monday morning, I got some avarice all lined up. Tuesday is the envy day. Yeah, not really a great way to grow closer to God. I mean, we shouldn't be sinning anyway, but you know, what we are doing is we are setting aside something that's not necessarily bad and just saying, instead of indulging in this, I'm focusing on God. Now, you probably want to make it something you usually enjoy. If I say I'm fasting from onions, oh, that's easy. I plan on doing that the rest of my natural life. Yeah, we try to fast from something you actually like. And when you do that, you learn the lesson of fasting, that we depend on God, not a meal, not on an action, but instead God is the one who feeds our souls. That's the thing about deprivation. It, it, it has a way of stripping away the noise, the fluff. It leaves us stronger. And we learn we can handle things so long as we have God. Oh, I'm hungry. Well, so what? I've got God. I'll be fine. Yeah, we live in a world constantly clamoring for more. We're entering, entering an election cycle. We're going to hear all these, all these uh, politicians talking to us about more. They want to give us more. Some want to take more. 
more, more, more. We see advertising. You want more. You want more out of life. You want more of this, more of that. And God whispers to us and says, try it on less. Because the only thing that a Christian should need more of is more God. We'll find that he is there and he is worth so much more than anything else. Stand with me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We praise you for Father. This world is not all there is. It's not about our physical bodies. It's not about more for this, more for that, Lord. It is about more of you. Lord, help us to seek you fully, truly, wholeheartedly. That we could become more like you and less like the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.